0: That we, got. Yes. we lost our thrones, and we lost our and then we lost our homes, and we lost our hearts, and we lost our hope, and we
1: forgot. Hey, everyone, back, and welcome to Around the Campfire We're with We're teaching how to survive, thrive, and stay alive in an uncertain world is our goal. Tonight, you know, every Thursday night, I do interviews, and my special guest is Brandon Dunaway of McVeigh Outdoors. Brandon is a paramedic in Kansas City with 19 years of service. So, y'all, listen closely because he knows what he's talking about. He's done emergency medical services in rural, urban, and industrial areas. And he's also an EMS educator. He's been a prepper all of his life, long before prepping was cool. Brandon founded – Brandon, see, I can't even talk tonight, folks. I have rented lips. Brandon founded and opened McVeigh Outdoors in 2019 because he believes that first aid – is the most overlooked aspect of prepping. He strives to provide the highest quality of product and training for even those of us like me on a tight budget. Welcome to the show, Brandon.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. No problem. Let's begin the show tonight with who is Brandon Dunaway?
0: Well, I guess that depends on who you ask.
1: <laughs> I'm asking you.
0: Um... Well, I mean, your uh, intro said it all. I've been uh, in EMS for a very long time. I've done a huge range of, uh, of things within EMS. So I've got a very diverse uh, career. And then I decided that I was going to take my knowledge and take my, um, what little expertise I claim to have and see if I could pass it on to as many people in the survival community as I could.
1: Awesome. So what is first aid for preppers?
0: Um, well, that depends on what you, I guess I should back up. Um, everything is first aid for preppers, um, headaches, sprains, broken bones, um, long-term issues like diabetes and managing other other illnesses like that, um, plus the day-to-day um, cuts and, and bruises and then you know, God forbid we get into shootings and the more advanced things.
1: So um, do you teach wilderness first aid?
0: I, I do not teach wilderness first aid. I try to start with uh, basics. Most of the people that come to me don't have any any training whatsoever. They may, w- may have watched some YouTube videos. They may know a friend or a family member uh, that's been an EMS or a nurse or something like that, but... They really don't have any idea of where to get started. Um, So I really like to start at the basics, uh, helping them with uh, where to get started and giving them a good foundation of education before we move on to anything advanced.
1: How does one get started?
0: Uh, Really, you just got to make the decision to do it. Uh, Most people aren't doing any training, aren't doing any real looking into first aid or medical issues. Um, whether it be survival or day to day like your intro said I do believe it's the most overlooked aspect um, so most people they buy guns they buy ammo they buy that kind of stuff and then they have no idea how to how to help themselves or a loved one if someone gets sick so really the first step is is acknowledging that they, that they don't know what they're doing <laughs> and then uh, finding somebody that does and hopefully they find me so I can I can help them out as best I can
1: for my listening audience, I want you guys to know how I met Brandon. Um, I was at a gun show recently, and I'm not going to divulge where that was. But I was, and he he had a um, a booth set up at the gun show. And for all of the those out there that know me, I like guns, okay? And you also know that I'm in the medical profession, so therefore, I look for anything medical. And My IFAC was not, uh, I lost my IFAC. Okay, guys, (sighs) I admit it, I lost the IFAC. What an IFAC is, is an individual first aid kit. It's tailored to you, but it has specific items in it. Uh, Each one has specific items in it, but then you can still tailor it for your needs. Um, And Brandon had this. Uh, booth set up at this gun show, and I was I walked past uh, his booth, and he had several IFACs laid out, and he had individual items that were in the IFAC for sale. So, say for for instance, you you had your personal IFAC, but you were missing a pair of um, e- e- EMT scissors or an Israeli. Uh, bandage or anything like that he had those individually for sale and he, he explained to me he took the time to explain to me what each IFAC was because he had several different ones and I purchased one of his IFACs and I took it home I was all excited guys I was all excited I attached it to my pack I detached it I reattached it someplace else on my pack, and then I thought you know what I'm gonna go through it and it was missing a couple of items so I contacted him and usually at the gun shows the people at the gun shows are, are are pretty honest you know some of them are schnookerers but I had a good feeling about Brandon so I contacted him and I said hey this is what's missing and he said No, I said, I'm missing some items, and he said, well, tell me what you're missing, and I'll send it to you. So I sent a a list of the things that were missing, and he said, you know what? Instead of replacing those items, I'm going to go ahead and send you a full IFAC. That impressed me. Most people do not do that. They just replace the items, say goodbye, have a nice life. no. This guy was, you know what, here's my business card. If you know of anybody who needs some help um, that wants some training, have them call me. You know, he didn't have to do that. He went above and beyond customer service. And to me, that made the difference. So I asked him to come on my show. So, Brandon, McVeigh Outdoors is your passion. Tell it, us it, it about McVeigh.
0: Um. You know, honestly, it started off with uh, me to find a way off of the ambulance. I've been I've been doing this a very long time, and anyone that has been doing the same career for 15, 20 years, it uh, just kind of wears on you. And I'm still very passionate about it. I still enjoy it. Um, I'm just getting older. It, it, it hurts more. <laughs> you know, I, I still like yes, oh, to- it does. Things. I still like to do all the same things I did when I was young. It just, uh, it hurts more these days and takes a lot longer to recover from.
1: And every time an ambulance goes by and you are not on it, that adrenaline rush gets crazy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I still, uh, (laughs) whenever we're we're out headed to dinner or something and we hear the sirens, I'm always like, ah, the sound of my people. (laughs) So uh, really it started off as a way to, to find a way out of the ambulance or to, to just refresh myself. And then the more I started talking to people and, you know, I had this theory about, about it being the most overlooked part, the first aid. And the more I started talking to people, uh, the more I really understood that i mean, I always knew about it, it really hit home. And I really do enjoy teaching and, uh, talking to people and this really refreshed, um, Kind of reminded me of why I got into EMS in the first place and uh, it's just kind of gone from there I love I love answering everyone's questions and um, helping them out helping them out as much as I can even if even if they don't buy anything from me um, I'd rather I'd rather them not buy something from me and have the right information than to buy something from me just for the money uh, I enjoy money everybody likes money but that's really not really not why I do it
1: well, what, what is it that you sell?
0: Um, so we sell mostly first aid kits. Uh, we have four different tiers plus a uh, a suture kit. Um, so we have a basic kit and two advanced kits. Uh, the advanced kits are mostly identical other than the pouches they come in. One of them is designed to be a lot smaller. Uh, it fit in a range bag, motorcyclists, people that are our space conscious conscience, um, and then we have a full trauma kit that has uh, everything except for the the IVs and drugs that I would use on an ambulance. Uh, I would be very comfortable carrying in our our full trauma kit. Um, I don't put fillers in them. You know, the one thing I hate the most is you look online, and most people, like I said, they don't they don't know what they want. They don't even know what they're looking for. Um, and you find these kits, and they're like, oh, I've got 300 pieces. Well, yeah, but, you know, 240 of them are knuckle band-aids. And when are you going to use all the knuckle band-aids? You know, so they, they fill them and fill them and fill them. Oh, then my I
1: just, gosh, I know. And then they charge you $500 for, for, a, for a $2 box of, of knuckle bandages.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I don't put fillers in them. I only use the things that that – we've used day-to-day in the ambulance and what I've used in the field. Um, in fact, there are several people that, to every gun show, ask for certain items, and I tell them the truth. I tell them that if that's what they want, I'll be more than happy to supply it, but I try to educate them as to why that may not be what, they're, what they should actually be spending their money on.
1: Okay. Um I do wilderness survival. Um, I teach wilderness survival. Um, I I am by far not all inclusive in what I teach because I'm just a teacher. And just because I'm a teacher does not mean that um, I have the highest education in wilderness survival. There are always people who are stronger and better and more knowledgeable than I am um, in your experience. I just totally lost that question. Just a <laughs> zoom, helicoptered right over my in your head.
0: experience. Crickets.
1: Oh, well, I got that. <laughs> okay. Um, tell us, tell us about the most important experience that you had as a, an EMS educator?
0: Um, you know, really is the understanding that you don't know everything I learn every day on the ambulance. I, I learned something, um, as an educator, I really enjoy you know, the, the light that comes on in someone's eyes when they, when they really get the, uh, Get what you're trying to tell them, um, especially in the more advanced things. When you're talking with about cardiology medications, um, a lot of times it's really, really just how to relate something to somebody. Anybody can learn. You just have to find the the way to relate the information to that individual. And when you do that, it, it's a very, very satisfying, um, very satisfying feeling
1: do you want to learn wilderness first aid now the the herbs and the um nature's medicine
0: oh i would love to uh i used to go uh (laughs) so i grew up on the west side of kansas city uh it's it's basically downtown kansas city uh and my grandmother um we used to walk the back alleys Picking all sorts of edible and medicinal stuff. I mean, I always thought that it was weeds uh, until she cooked some of, it, and then I'm like, man, that's the best taste of weed ever. Uh, but you know, after a while, if you don't if you don't keep up that skill, it, it goes away, and it's just something that, while I have a, a I think that I have a, a fairly decent base knowledge. It is. Not a strong suit of mind at all. So I would always, I always want to learn that and, and know more on that.
1: Well, for those who do not know, and those who do know, um, we are opening a school called Wilderness Integrated Leadership Development, or the acronym WILD, W-I-L-D. Um, Again, that is Wilderness Integrated Leadership Development, and that is all about wilderness survival. And I'm not just talking about bushcraft, how to build a, a, a stick wiki up. You know, I'm talking if you run into a huge thing of poison ivy, that God also created a plant not that far from poison ivy, poison oak, poison sumac, that is a counteractive to poison sumac, poison ivy, poison oak, et cetera, um, learning the different spearmints or th- from the mint family, uh, learning yarrow, mullein, thistle, plantain, white oak bark, aspen, the things that you, you can consume that can not only save your life uh, but can also be used medicinally. Um, I encourage you, if you do not know, Brandon, there is a school called... Dr. Christopher's School of Natural Healing. And even though I graduated from a naturopathic uh, school out of Oregon, I did not get the education from that university that I got from Dr. Christopher's School of Natural Healing.
0: Oh, I will definitely be looking into that.
1: It is an amazing amazing course you can go from basic herbalist uh, i think it's nutritional herbologist herbalist and then master herbalist and uh, and they may be an online course but i'll tell you what it is not an easy course and in order to pass to be a master herbalist you have to go to utah and be there for a a, a week so they can test you on your knowledge they, they are very thorough and they are very good. Of course, it has been many years since I took the course. That was back when John Christopher was still alive. Um, and his son David now has it but uh, and runs the school. Um, but I encourage anyone who is interested in uh, wilderness first aid to take that course because it is uh, – even if it's just a basic herbalist course, you learn so much about what is in your own backyard. It, it is, it's, it's amazing. Um, getting back to the interview here, I, I digressed. So you, you, you <laughs> could have kicked me in the shins underneath well, the
0: table information for me too.
1: And say, Kate, <laughs> you are digressing. Um, what is the difference between a person who just puts a few things away in their pantry and a prepper? What is a prepper?
0: You know, honestly, I think that a prepper is just the person that has made the the decision to make themselves and their family um, make it easier for them to, to mitigate obstacles that they get thrown at them uh, whether it be natural or, or man-made uh, there's so many people that, that just don't even think ahead. The, if you're prepping for anything, you're much farther ahead of the game than you realize. Uh, and like I said, I think that, that just making that decision is, is the first big step. Other than that, you can go along as time and money allow uh, to put away your food, to put away your, your weapons and your ammo and your traps and your medical equipment and just everything that, that goes along with it. Um, but you have to make the decision that, that that's what you want to, that that's what you want to to dedicate uh, that part of your life to.
1: So to be a prepper, how, how do you go about being a prepper? You can hear my German Shepherd in the background. He's saying hello to whatever it is that's out here on the ranch. <laughs> so if everyone hears this big old dog, that's that uh, he's going to be barking and saying hello, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I digress just in case y'all heard him in the background wolfing. What, <laughs> what, tell us what does a prepper do? I mean, I know that they, they uh, stock up on ammo Uh, stock up on food what kind of food what what kind of ammo what is the best type of gun what is it is not that i'm just oh my god kate don't you know well absolutely i am i am one of the ultimate preppers but for for the listening audience what are what what do you call a prepper what what do you prep for um
0: Really, I don't think that what anyone preps for is import, as important as simply prepping. And all of those questions, you know, what's the best gun? What's the best first aid kit? What's the best radio? What's the best? All of that's a very personal, personal question and decision. What's best for me may not be best for you. It may not be best for um, even my friends. I have six kids, so I have to prep. Uh, for a larger group, I have to make sure that, that we have more, um, more items, more, uh, equipment than say my buddy that does, that it's just him and his girlfriend. Uh,
1: so, so how does one get started in prepping?
0: Uh, first thing uh, that I started doing, um, was talking to people, of course, before this was before, uh. Before YouTube, right now, I guess you just start watching some YouTube videos and and go from there. I mean, you can learn you can learn everything from from YouTube. Uh, I even learned how to fix a furnace. And for those of uh, that are listening that actually know me, I can't fix very much of anything. So, <laughs> um, uh, I just YouTube uh, has
1: been my friend, so I understand.
0: Oh yeah, it's great. Uh, I I was lucky enough to have a grandfather very close to me um, both physically and emotionally he lived across the street and we hunted and fished nonstop. stop um, and he was also did not have very kind opinions of the government or those in authority <laughs> so <laughs> he kind of got me um, that kind
1: of sums up almost every prepper
0: yeah basically <laughs> i have been told that i have a problem with authority on multiple occasions um, even by yeah. uh, supervisors that didn't like that. <laughs> so yeah, he really got me started and, and pointed me in the in that direction. And then I had, uh, you know, my brother was um, was into it as well. So we kind of fed off of each other for a while. And then as we grew up, uh, I started making other friends. Um, and there's a lot of of preppers in the EMS community. When I started doing this, I realized that. We are, as a group, A-type personalities that really think quickly and think outside the box. Um, and that really fits along with, with the prepper lifestyle as well.
1: Uh, you had talked earlier about the kits that you sell, okay. uh, the IFAC kits and the, the uh, surgical kit and the trauma kit. Can you tell us what is in each kit?
0: Yeah, so our basic level kit is just-
1: and 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 the cost, so they know.
0: Yeah, no problem. Um, Our basic level kit uh, really covers all of your your bumps, bruises, sprains, small lacerations. It has uh, a good selection of gauze, uh, a triangular bandage. um, And now that you got me on the spot, I usually just read it, or I usually know everything. Right off the top of my head, but or if I don't, I have the little card in front of me at the gun show. <laughs> uh, it has a triangular bandage. It has uh, trauma shears, um, uh, an ace wrap. Uh, really, like I said, all the very basic, basic items—the things that I think that you should you should start with um, for a person that has no training, um, no education as far as as far as medicine goes, and really they don't know where to start. That's a, that's a great place to start because you can get out and start playing with stuff. You can't really hurt anything, um, or anybody. Uh, and I encourage everybody to get out and play, play with what, with the stuff they have. If you're not training, then you're, you're setting yourself back. Um, then we bump up from there. Uh, we have two advanced kits. Like I said, the main difference in them is, is really their size. Uh, they all have, Uh, Israeli bandages, they have combat tourniquets. um, They have all the stuff that the basic one has plus that. Uh, And then the larger of the two actually has a small suture kit in it as well. Um, And then we bump it up to the uh, trauma kit, and that has about twice as much gauze. It has a splint. Um, It has uh, your chest decompression needle it has your chest seals uh it has your blood stopping your c-locks in it and the advanced kit also has c-locks in it um so it takes it it takes that advanced and really really goes full throttle um full throttle as far as as trauma kits go Uh, our basic kit uh starts at 40 dollars and then our advanced kits—the smaller one is eighty, the larger one is a hundred—and then our full trauma kit is two hundred dollars.
1: And for everybody, I got the hundred-dollar one, um, and I'm very happy with the one that uh, uh, Brendan sent me. Um, they attach very easily to your pack. To where they're, they are on the outside of the pack, you can always put them on the inside of your pack. But if there's an emergency, you're not going to want to be digging through your pack trying to find your emergency uh, kits. So I just put mine on the back of the pack. They snap off very quickly, or that they Velcro on as well. So you can just grab it and unVelcro it really quick. And I've never seen a pack, uh, an IFAC like that. Where it velcros on, and and instead of just snapping on, that that was a seller to me.
0: Yeah, those uh those quick detach ones are I love them. Um, and, and both of our advanced kits are the quick detach, so you can attach it, quick detach, so you can attach it straight to your your belt or your gear, or your pack, and then uh, in a pinch you just rip it right away from, right, right away from the velcro, and you're good to go. That way, you don't have to reattach it with uh, webbing. You know, you just put that thing back in, clip it with the buckle, and and, and you're ready.
1: You had talked about teaching. Huh? Do you tra- do you travel to teach? Um. Yes,
0: uh, I haven't traveled to teach classes. You know, I would rent out a building. And I would advertise that, hey, we're having this class on this date. People would sign up, they'd pay, and we'd do it. And then with COVID, you know, that went away.
1: Yeah, COVID uh, kind of put a hiccup in everybody's giddy-up.
0: Yeah, it, it's put a hiccup in in everything, and that's probably – we could probably do two more shows on, on that. Uh, um, do
1: not get me started. I am uh, – okay, yes, just do not get me started.
0: <laughs> so what we do now is um, if somebody wants a class – And they contact me. I design a class directly for them. So they tell me how many people are going to be there. I try to want at least four. Um, I can do less. I can do more. But four seems to be a a good amount. Um, Or at least I have, I basically have it down to how much I can teach so many people in so many hours. Um, So they contact me with, with what they're looking for. I design a class around their specific needs. Uh, and then we work out a location. Um, and then I come and I sell it in a four-hour block. Uh, so it's it's $20 per person um, for a four-hour block. And then you get to decide. Uh, and I'll, I'll walk you through you know, how much time I need to teach certain things. So you can have me for four hours. You can have me for eight hours um and then then each class is tailored specifically to you and specifically on on your time that way we can get around the the whole covid uh thing of just a lot of places are still closed and and a lot of people are still scared and don't want to come out uh and attend a a large gathering with people they don't know so if we can stick to you know you're bringing your own friends and your own family everybody knows each other so a lot of people get get a lot more relaxed that way.
1: Well, that makes sense. So do people come to the Kansas City area for you or say if somebody in in Boston or New York or something can get maybe 25 30 people and they pay your way, would you travel?
0: Oh, I absolutely would. Um, I've never I've never been asked. Uh, everyone that that has contacted me and that I've done classes for so far, uh, post COVID has been relatively close to me or within you know, within an hour, maybe two. Uh, so the farther I travel, um, I do charge a little bit more. Um, but I am willing to go to them. Um, sometimes they come to Kansas city or independence or, or wherever is close. And sometimes I, I go to them. Uh, I am absolutely willing to travel. Uh, I've just never been asked. <laughs>
1: So you would look you would go to like Olathe or Topeka or I don't know the absolutely. area. Oh absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Are are you in Kansas City, Missouri or Kansas City, Kansas?
0: Oh, I'm on the Missouri side. That that border war is still alive and well.
1: <laughs> oh well, okay. I knew you were a good man on the Missouri side. Okay. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Kansas City. Um, <laughs> um gosh. Can you believe we've only been doing this a half an hour? Okay, tell us specifically what you teach. Not just, oh, I teach first aid. What does the what What does that entail?
0: Um. Well, I I bring kits out and I teach you how to use everything in the kit. Uh, and if you bring your kit, which I do encourage. I love it when people bring out.
1: Define kits. The reason why I ask that is because if somebody came up to me and asked me um, how I would do a frontal lobotomy, I mean, I, I could tell you what scalpel I would use, exactly how, how I would get into the brain, and, and I could tell you how to do, why to do it, and how to put it back and keep my patient alive. Um, that is not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is, what is the kit? Uh, people do not understand the kit. People who do not know first aid or even just basic first aid, what is basic first aid? Uh,
0: it, it's the foundation that everything builds from. Uh, basically, it's bleeding control, airway, uh, uh, airway management. Um,
1: the ABCs. Tell us what the ABCs are
0: airway, breathing, and circulation. Basically, air goes in and out, blood goes round and round, and if there's any variation of that, it's bad. (laughs) Um, If there's any holes, you plug them. Uh, If it looks funny, then you cover it up and take it to somebody that's an expert, (laughs) or at least on an ambulance, you do take it to the Uh, hospital.
1: I I have a friend who is a, um, a combat medic, and I sat in one of his seminars one time and even though I know a lot, I know a heck of a lot, he sat there and he said, you know what? People freak out over emergencies. They freak out over somebody who is bleeding out. And if you are in a triage and someone is bleeding out, reach in, pinch it off, emergency over. Go to the next guy.
0: Yeah, and and triage is another thing that that I do try to hit hard. Um,
1: Explain what triage is.
0: So triage is looking at however many casualties or sick patients that you have and trying to determine who's the most critical, who you're going to work on first, um, who can take care of themselves and self-extricate, you know, the walking wounded, um, and unfortunately, who, who you have to let go because there's nothing that you're going to be able to do with what you have and in the time frame Uh, to actually make a difference and save their life so there's a green yellow red and black system Um, just like a traffic light other than black means that you're either dead or expected to die Uh, so when you come upon a scene you would basically go to each person um, and you would give them a color either green yellow red or black Uh, and you you would do something basic basic like if they're not breathing you would know, want to open the airway to, airway to see if they're able to breathe um and if they're not you would black tag them and move on that way when you get other responders in uh they know to go to the red people first and then yellow and then green uh basically you just they tend to walk themselves out um especially when you're getting into things like natural disasters uh which actually um, I'm about to graduate with a degree in uh, emergency and disaster management. So,
1: Awesome. That brings up, um, I was watching, I do not usually watch the news and I do not usually watch television, but um, I was visiting with a friend this evening and they were watching the news and I was watching the collapse of that 13-story apartment building in Miami-Dade, Florida And of course, being in the medical profession, you probably do the same thing as I do, is the first thing I think of is, okay, even though there's 13 stories that went down, what would I do and what first, how would I do it? Who would I try to save? They are hearing knocking. Why are they not moving things around to get to those people? You know, things go over in your head. Even though we are not there, we are going to armchair quarterback because that's what we do. And... (laughs) looking at that scenario and knowing the training that you have, what would you do?
0: Um, man, without actually being on scene, that's a, that's an extremely difficult situation to answer or question to answer. Um, I have been in, I have run calls and been in situations where we have mass casualties, um, I've seen explosions, I've seen multiple car wreck, you know, multiple car pileups where, where there's, there's lots of people that have been ejected, lots of hurt people. Um, really just gotta take a deep breath and try to slow time down and just do one thing at a time and then move on and be very, very methodical about it. Uh, and the thing with triage is you can't get caught up on who you can't save as a paramedic, you know, I want to save everybody. I, I didn't get into this to <laughs> I didn't get into this for the the girls and the and the the lights and sirens, you know so um you just have to slow down and let your training take over uh and and really just go from there. Um I remember this one call that we had some people trapped in a train car and I was the first one on scene. And when I uh, climbed up on this train car and looked into it, and I had a guy next to me that was, you know, screaming, hey, they're, they're down there, they're not breathing, we got to get in there. And as soon as I climbed up on the train car and looked in, and I saw how the, the two persons were, were laying, my training really kicked in of, wow, this is, this reminds me of some type of a hazmat chemical thing. I need to not go in there. I need to slow down. And I need to start calling for resources because I am very unprepared for what I'm about to have to do. Uh, And and it's it would be the same thing uh, going into a a building collapse like that. If I'm the first in, I really need to find out what we need to take care of this and start getting the right resources to the right places until somebody with a, a higher rank than me shows up and can organize that, uh, so I can actually do paramedic duties. Um, that's, that would be the first thing.
1: Wow. My heart goes out to those people. Um, we're praying for everybody involved. Um, not only the victims and the survivors and their families, but all of the rescuers that are there. Um, it is, just as hard on them. I, but people do not understand or realize that, yes, family members are lost, but it is very difficult as well on the rescuers. It is very hard.
0: Yes, it is. It, it's very difficult um, to not second-guess yourself, to not uh, to not play the what-if game.
1: Uh, you cannot live in the woulda, coulda, shoulda, or able to oh,
0: no, well, you really can't. Uh, you, you can think yourself to death. And that's just it's not a road that you want to go down um, every after every call, no matter how simple or complex it is. I always look at my partner and ask, you know, OK, what went well? Um, what was a disaster and what what could we have done better? And sometimes the answer is, well, everything went how it was supposed to. We really couldn't have done anything better and nothing was a disaster. And that's fine. Um,
1: yeah. So that's basically your after action report.
0: And that's it. Like you have to do one of those. Um, if you're going to learn from experiences and you're going to grow uh, and not repeat mistakes, I've, I've made mistakes and you just have to learn from them uh, and keep going.
1: I think we've all made mistakes, um, not only in the medical field, but in almost every profession, we all make mistakes. That is how we um, progress. That is how you learn. You, you, there are no successes without failures. When I Absolutely. lost my first patient, I was devastated because, you know, I thought I could conquer the world. And I thought I was better than anybody else in the medical field because I was not only book smart, but I was bush smart and I knew my profession. And when I lost my first patient, there was nothing I could do, but I thought I could. I was devastated, Um, and I almost walked away from my profession because of that, and I I am glad that I did not, but a lot of people out there, they do not know what it is like to be a part of the death of somebody. I am not saying that I caused the death because I did not, but if you have never seen a dead body, um, it is like when we do the wilderness survival. Is have you ever pulled the trigger on another human being? Because I took an oath to do no harm. And but if if and when the time comes that I feel that my life is being threatened and I have to take a life, I ask my students, Can you do it?
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's I mean, I ask people that that all the time. And yeah, that really. So, makes so you shoot
1: the person to kill them and then you do everything you can to save their life.
0: <laughs> I guess that would depend on why you, you, why you shot them in the first place.
1: <laughs> well, if they were coming after me to hurt me or my family, I would still shoot to kill them, but I would probably knowing me, excuse me, drop my weapon, run to them and, try to save their life because you know they're not going to hurt me now but i can still try to save their life but i'm also an idiot like that too
0: i wouldn't say you're an idiot unless
1: unless the exception in my opinion to that rule in my head is if that individual hurt abused molested or raped a child then I do not know in my mind or in my heart of hearts if I could actually save that person's life.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the, I've actually been in situations where I have had to care for people that, that, you know, have done those things. Um, and I've always given them the best care that I'm capable of. I think that as far as I'm concerned, everybody deserves the best that I have. Um, but I would be lying if I said that, it, that things like that didn't go through my head of, you know, does this person actually deserve deserve my best? Well,
1: if they came into my OR and in the process of a surgical procedure, if it came up, yes, well, this individual was convicted of this or has been accused of this or has been charged with this and it was – Hurting a child in some way, yes, I would do everything I could to save that person's life so they could be prosecuted. I mean, so they could, (laughs) I would do everything I could to save that person's life. Um, Yet, in the scenario of if they were coming at me and I knew that they were hurting a child and I was there to save that child, I do not think that in my heart of hearts that after I did what I needed to do to neutralize the situation I do not think that in my heart of hearts that I would be able to reach down and actually save that person's life because of what I do in my industry right I have seen too many children and adults I have seen too many people their lives destroyed by these types of people so I do not know if I could do it. I do not know if that I'm I'm being honest about that.
0: Well, I mean I've never I've never asked myself that question of in a survival situation if that you know, what would I do in that instance? What would you
1: do so, if the guy was coming after your daughter?
0: Oh, I wouldn't stop shooting until he stopped moving.
1: See, there you go. End of discussion. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> We are just a little protective of our of our children, as we should be.
0: I have um, four daughters, so uh, they better oh watch out. For- oh, yeah. Good
1: for you. Good for you. So was that shotgun clean?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I have a friend whose daughter just turned 17 and she is. Oh, my gosh. She's stunning. She's absolutely beautiful. And my concern is that, I mean, she's, she's so naive. She knows so much, and she's very intelligent on one aspect. On the other aspect, she is very naive, and her parents have raised her to be old-fashioned. And my, my concern is, in her naivety, What happens if she's approached? And I see this not only in her, but in a lot of other teenagers and preteens and younger people that they do not know about stranger danger. They do not understand that these people, that there are people out there who will hurt you or they will kidnap you for trafficking and this is not the forte that we need to be on because I am interviewing you, and <laughs> I digress. But you're you're it's it's your fault. You're hitting a passion, but <laughs> actually, it is my fault. Um,
0: well, i uh, 19 years on an ambulance, and my brother is coming up on 25 as a police officer. Uh, there's not much between the two of us that we haven't uh, seen or had to deal with.
1: I do not. I do not envy what you have seen. I am sure that you have seen everything from broken toes to gunshot wounds and stabbings. What is the um, what is the hardest um, EMS service that you provided? Um. Like like the most difficult.
0: Honestly, the most difficult thing for me is the day-to-day grind. Um, you know, a shooting or a car wreck or something like that, it's it's very cut and dry. It's very fast. It's full of adrenaline, and you don't think much. Um, and I'm kind of a cardiology nerd, so when it comes to heart problems, <laughs> I tend to geek out on that, so those are fun. I mean, I, it, I know I say that, and people are like, what? That's fun that people are having a heart attack. Well. That part's not fun, but uh, being able to read EKGs and treat them appropriately and actually help somebody out, I I love that. Um,
1: when I when I was an EMT physician, um, I don't know, do not know if you do um, physician ride-alongs um, on your bus, um, yeah. but I have been rode up so many times for I'm. I'm an herbal nerd. You're you're a cardiac geek. Well, I'm an herbal geek. And when you get a call of a cardiac arrest, and you know that CPR is probably not going to save them, but you do know that putting uh, three cc's of uh, 90,000 heat units of cayenne pepper underneath their tongue... Can save their life long enough to get them to the hospital to where they can be saved. I've been rode up so many times. I don't know yeah. if you know that trick, but that's, that, uh, that's a huge trick that a lot of people do not know. And a lot of lives have been saved using that method.
0: Yeah. So I was fortunate to, when I got into this, to be taught by the people that really pioneered EMS, uh, at least in the state of Missouri. You know, there were some of the very first paramedics that came out of the classes in the '70s, and they were still teaching when I got into this. Um, and then the equipment that we have today and the education we have today is so different than what it was when I started. So I've gotten oh, to do of things yes, are. that the young people getting into it now will, will never have the opportunity to do. Um, so things like that. In today's EMS world, liability is a big thing. Um, so I'm not sure that I would do that. Um, but, you know, 20 years ago, there were lots of things that got done that helped people that we're not allowed to do now.
1: Exactly. I was, I was, uh, mine was, thank God, oh, my last bus ride. Was nine was 1999. That was my last bus ride as a physician. Not because I did anything wrong, but because I moved on. Yeah. And um, back then, it's not that we were allowed to do it because it was not protocol um, or SOP, but my goal was to save their life, not watch them die. And if I knew in my heart of hearts, if I knew that they were going to die, if I did not do something unconventional, then I went ahead, went ahead and did it unconventional.
0: Uh, I I've, I've definitely done a few things that were frowned upon at the time, but, you know, any bad idea that works isn't too bad of an idea.
1: Exactly. Exactly. What is the. I know this sounds really weird, but. If you're an EMT or ever been an EMT from basic to paramedic, or if you've ever been, which not very many people out there in the listening audience has been a physician on the bus, but what is your most fun experience?
0: <laughs> I've had a lot of fun fun on the ambulance. Um, some of the calls that we get are you know it's true because you just can't make it up. Um, and especially if you have a good partner, man, they can make everything, they can make everything fun. Um, really just the, the call that sticks out, the most recent fun call that I've had, uh, I actually got called for a, a guy that thought that he got bit by a fish when he was wading in one of the local streams. Um, <laughs> when I showed up, Man, he was high as could be, and he was fun. He was very fun. Um, we ended up not taking him to the hospital, but uh, we had a blast. It, it was it was a great time.
1: I um, remember out on the an ambulance call, we went out. Um, the individual she was drunk, and she was pretending like she was passed out, and in the back of the ambulance, her daughter was back there. And I looked at, I looked at one of the EMTs and I said, uh, she's faking it. Oh no, no, she's not faking it. So the daughter reached over and started tickling her mom. Her mother was not passed out. I promise. <laughs> the giggling began.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I've had those, um, I almost dropped a body once, uh, <laughs> My partner Whoops. and I were, yeah. My partner and I were transporting a dead guy because our boss was also the um, deputy coroner, and so we ran this call. We had to take him to the uh, the funeral home, and on along the way, my the partner I was working with was he loved uh, practical jokes, and so he was mooing at cows, and we were he was just having a blast. And when we got there, you know, the, the lady that opened the door for us, she was all somber. She had a very serious face. And we just got, you know, we were trying to put our game faces on because we were laughing like crazy for this whole ride. And then when we got there, we got in, um, if no one has ever touched an embalming table, they're not very heavy. So we picked up the uh, body and did the one, two, three to put them on the, the table. And I had forgotten to lower the arm of the cot. So the body hit the cot, and it launched the cot into the embalming table, and the embalming table flew across the room and made this horrible crash. And we almost dropped the guy. We did not, thankfully. Um, but we were definitely trying to one-handed get everything together, so that we could put the body back on and get the room back how it was supposed to and actually do our jobs appropriately.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, Well, we are out of time. Um, And this ends the broadcast for me tonight, Brandon, thank you for being on the show. Tell us
0: where,
1: tell us where we can find you.
0: Uh, mcveighoutdoors.com.
1: Can you Uh, spell that?
0: M-C-V-E-Y-O-U-T-D-O-O-R-S.com. We have a Facebook page as well. Um, and you can message me right through Facebook. Uh, It goes right to my phone and, uh, I I try to be as fast as possible on, on replying to messages.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I know that whenever I contacted you, it was just a matter of maybe just a couple of hours. And... You had emailed me back very graciously. I want to thank you, Brendan, for being on the show tonight. It was fun, and I hope to have you back on. You'll be a whole lot more relaxed. You'll know what to expect, and no pressure um, between a half a million and a million views. No pressure.
0: Yeah, I'm waiting for uh, the phone call that says connecting. He's and deep something.
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay, everybody, remember train hard and train smart to survive thrive and stay alive this is kate signing off until next time you say, you love this you say you really care but america is dying i don't see-